Hi, and welcome to the latest Paradox podcast. I recorded this interview with Bruce Party just as Hurricane Fiona was starting to reach its peak with rain lashing off the window, off the water, just 100 or so feet from the ocean in my little medical office here in Canso, Nova Scotia. This is the first in a series of interviews that I'm posting to introduce you to our speakers, to give you a little idea of who they are and what they'll be talking about at our Free Speech and Medicine Conference at the end of October. Don't forget to check out all the details at freespeechandmedicine.com where you'll find an agenda, a little pre preview and bio of our speakers, as well as registration links. Bruce Party is an accomplished man. He's a law professor at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. He's the driving force behind rightsprobe.org. He has presented to parliamentary committees, done high-profile events with the likes of Jordan Peterson, and he's written important and impactful op-eds for national publications. In my estimation, he's one of the most prominent and important experts on the issues around free speech and individual liberty in Canada. Bruce is well-read, philosophical, and even better, he's a very fun guy and an amazing speaker. We're honored that he's agreed to speak at our conference. This podcast is a little introduction to Bruce and a sneak preview of his talk. As an aside, I mentioned that I was investigated by the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Nova Scotia for an op-ed I wrote for the Chronicle Herald in 2019. This is what triggered Bruce and I to connect and I was eventually helped out by the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms and Lisa Bildley an excellent lawyer. You can read more in the notes at paradox.substack.com about those details and follow links if you want more information. I highly recommend contributing to jccf.ca. I hope that you enjoy my talk with Bruce as much as I did. Uh, I'm lucky enough tonight to be joined by Bruce Party, all the way from Kingston, Ontario. If you hear some weird background noise on my end, that's because I'm just at the front end of Hurricane Fiona, which is hitting landfall here where I am in Canso, where the first of it is hitting here and the rain is lashing on the windows. Bruce is one of our featured speakers who I was very, very happy he actually agreed to come. I was very flattered that he would consider it. So uh, I feel very lucky we've landed him. I consider him a big fish and I want to let him let you know a little bit about himself and what he's going to talk about. So first thing, Bruce, uh, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you are now and what you do? Sure, Chris, thank you. And and listen, before I do that, let me just thank you for inviting me to your conference. I, it's going to be a, a fantastic gathering. You've, you've assembled a remarkable uh, roster of people to talk about this. And it's one of the most important questions we have in front of us right now. So listen, my hat's off to you for putting this together and for gathering the people that you have. I'm, I am really looking forward to it. Right on. Well, thanks so much. Okay. So I'm a, a, a law prof at the law school at Queens. I have been for more years than I care to admit. Um, and more recently, I've become the executive director of a think tank called Rights Probe, which is a division of the Energy Probe Research Foundation a long-standing uh, uh, free market-oriented uh, Canadian think tank, probably one of the leading Canadian think tanks uh, to take that kind of perspective. And they've been in business for a long time, providing uh, clear thinking to a confused world. Um, and we've been very active during this COVID period in 
trying to break down what the heck is happening because all of our uh, norms, our, our legal norms, our societal norms uh, seem to be thrown out the window. And, and worse than that, a lot of people simply haven't noticed, or if they have, they have approved of the strange new world that we are now in. And so part of the, the, the challenge in these times is to make sense of that, to make sense of why, why only a few people, in the words of George Orwell from 1984, uh, seem to have a memory about the way things are supposed to work. And uh, very much at the center of all these questions is the role of institutions and how the institutions have, have seem to have turned on those people who believe that institutions should keep their place and that the uh, individual, whether they be doctors or nurses or scientists or, or professionals of other kinds or people with jobs to, to, to fulfill and families to look after, whether the individual should be in the, in the situation of, of expressing what they think and deciding for themselves what to do, or whether it's the job of the institutions to direct us all and manage us all. And, and, and I think that might go to the center of this question. And of course, there's all kinds of details there to pull apart in the quest in the, in the realm of the freedom of speech for physicians and other people in the medical profession. Um, you, it's a question of, the degree to which the colleges have the ability to dictate what you can and cannot say. Um, and this is a, is a, it's a, as I said at the outset, it's a really very important question and, and touches so many things that have occurred during this COVID period. Right on. Well, that's, that's a great introduction. So certainly, you know, many of us in the medical profession have felt the free speech walls closing in on us, <clears throat> particularly, I think, in the last 10 years. But I think it's been a decades-long process, really, like in the rest of society. Um, the college argues that they can regulate our free speech under the, the sort of the general banner of professionalism. Um, what do you see as the problem with, with that? Um, and what, and then, you know, as a second part, what is the legal ability of the college to regulate our speech. Do you have some sense of that? Or, you know, or I hope sure, I hope you yes. do because probably you do more than any of the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, let, let me just touch on the second question first. Uh, the, the legal realm. And and this is not nearly as straightforward as we would like it to be and not and and perhaps not as open to shut as some people would want it to be who believe that the that the colleges are are out of line. The problem is that in our system of law right now uh, the courts are in the habit of granting a very high degree of deference to administrative agencies. And, and regulators of medical professions and legal professions and so on are, are state agencies. They may not be run by the government, but they are created and authorized by the government. And as such, they are parts of the executive branch of government. And they are empowered to act as they do uh, by statute. And when they appear to overstep their boundaries, um, people can take those decisions that they make to the courts for judicial review. But those in those reviews, the question is not quite so straightforward as, well, did the, did the college um, do something it wasn't allowed to do? 
Instead, they ask, well, the, the college is an executive um, actor. Um, is it entitled to deference in the way that it interpreted the statute, in the way that it made a decision? Is its understanding of its own jurisdiction a reasonable one? And that's a much different question than whether or not it got it right or wrong. And so in, in, in the big picture sense, our law right now grants to administrative agencies, which, which the colleges are, a very wide boundary within which to operate. And adding to that is the fact that in the statutes that authorize them, they are granted in black and white, very wide latitude to act often. So trying to pin them down and ratchet them back is very difficult because the courts are often reluctant to do that and the statutes are not uh, really in our favor. And so as simple a principle as this, which is that a physician, as someone who is trained in medicine and has expertise in medicine, shouldn't that person be able to express his medical opinion You'd like to think the straightforward answer to that question should be obviously yes. And yet, as you say, the college under the guise of professionalism has been, as you know better than I do, has been has been putting limits on 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 the kinds of things that physicians can express, even in terms of things that fall within their expertise, which is an extraordinary thing. And should seem to everybody like exactly the opposite way that that scientific endeavors are supposed to work. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe maybe I'll just make a comment on that too, Bruce. Uh, and I'll put it in the notes along with this podcast for anybody interested. But I uh, we we kind of well, I'd say reconnected because we were kind of uh, ran in the same circles in Kingston years ago, but literally ran in the same circles. But uh, we reconnected. A, a couple of years ago when I ran into hot water over an op-ed I'd written for the Chronicle Herald. And what was interesting as I went through my hearings with the college over that, which I can speak about publicly, uh, it was interesting because on the one hand, I was criticized for speaking outside of my area of expertise. I had spoken a little bit about infectious diseases, uh, long story, and I was criticized for not being an infectious disease expert. And then on the other hand, the college criticized me because they didn't think it was appropriate for a physician to be expressing opinions on medical matters publicly. And so right. basically I got criticized for talking outside my scope and also for talking inside my scope, both at the same time for the same right. complaint. So it was a very right. strange situation. Right, right. Well, what, one of the Achilles heels, I think, of the medical profession, and, and this is one thing I'm going to talk about at the conference, is this idea that the medical profession, uh, medical profession's authority comes from its ability to know best, that is, from its expertise in the sense that they know what the answer is. And as long as you have that idea as sort of the, the, the central idea that gives the profession status, then there's going to be a fight over what the right answer is. And to me, it's not all that surprising. I mean, outrageous, yes, but not that surprising that a regulator would try to insist upon its answer being the right answer. And in a sense, the medical profession is a very conservative one in the sense that people are inclined to defer to authority. As opposed to, I mean, don't get me wrong, during this COVID period, the legal profession has been no better 
no better than the medical profession in, in dealing with all these problems. But at least in the in the legal profession, there is a tradition of 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 having an adversarial system. And so the idea that two lawyers would disagree about something, you know, that's just sort of standard practice. But when two doctors disagree about something, well, that makes people nervous because they're not supposed to disagree because there's supposed to be an answer. And if they disagree, then maybe the answer is not so clear and people are not used to the idea that doctors might not know. Mm -hmm. And and that, I think, is is a weakness that needs to be fixed. Right. If, if, if the presumption was different, which is, you know what, folks? A lot of this we don't understand. We only know a little bit about the human body. We'll tell you what we know. And a lot of us disagree. And we're going to fight about it. And we want you to hear that fight, that disagreement, so that you can form your own opinion. And that's not that's not the way the medical profession works right now, and I think to its detriment. Right. Well, it's interesting, Bruce, when you're talking about that. What what springs to mind for me is this, you know, this uh, thing that uh, people like uh, Chesterton and um, and C.S. Lewis and others have talked about is this move towards a scientism in society. Right. There's this idea, you know, in progressivism that. Uh, the scientific revolution will lead us towards a better and better society. And so, therefore, when you believe that, when you believe that science can provide us with all the answers in life, what you believe is the person at the top of the scientific dung heap is the most qualified to tell us how to live our lives. And in COVID times, that person is automatically the medical officer of health, who is, you know, quote unquote, the top doctor. And uh, I always found that a funny term because, uh, well, two things I'll say about that. Number one, the, the top doctor thing is quite funny because most of these docs are not highly respected physicians. They're people who maybe didn't do well in clinical practice or had other interests. Um, many of them have no clinical experience and they kind of default to this administrative position where they never see patients and they push memos around all day. Most of us didn't, the, the vast majority of Nova Scotians did not know, know the name of our medical officer of health for, before COVID, even though he was in that position for 18 or 19 years you know that's one thing the other problem with that general view that this this godlike scientific figure can lead us all to nirvana is that um, even if somebody had perfect scientific knowledge you know let's say masks reduce the rate of covid transmission by eight percent or vaccines reduce the chances of getting really ill by 30 percent uh, but have a side effect profile of one in 3000 or something. Even if you have perfect scientific knowledge, you still can't get the right answer because the right answer depends on what you value. You know, do you value seeing somebody's face and seeing them smile or, or do you value risk minimizing your risk of COVID at all costs? You know, those, yeah. those things are not scientific questions and they, we never can answer these questions scientifically. So. Exactly. So exactly. So yeah, I, I, I think you've touched on, on, on both of the of the big conceptual problems here, I mean, I think that 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 last one is is so important. I mean, we, we can state it fairly fairly plainly. Yes, any public policy decision, anyone, cannot be a question of science alone, because as you say, those those policy questions are always based upon a certain set of values, and values cannot be determined scientifically. That's not a scientific question. And so the idea that a, a chief medical officer of health would have the expertise to make public policy decisions is simply not true. It's just not true. Uh, they, they, every, embedded in every one of those decisions are trade-offs between 
costs and benefits and not just medical costs and benefits benefits in terms of like you refer to the value of seeing somebody's face so it's a it's a it's a it's a big pretend that this is based on science but even more fundamentally than that i suppose we could say this that scientism that you refer to that 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 deference to scientific authority is is exactly opposite to what the scientific method is supposed to be right the scientific method is is fueled by skepticism and dissent i mean it's it's science is a history of error now that's not to bash it that that's its strength not its weakness because it's fueled by that 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 uh, ability to falsify what somebody else claims to be true you know somebody does experiments comes up with a conclusion says this is the way it works and that conclusion is open to everybody else to say no 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 we did it this way we did experiments showing this your theory doesn't work now that's not a defeat that's the way the thing's supposed to work and when you get to be defensive about the validity of your theory and you say you may not criticize the theory because that's the policy now now you've done everything that is exactly opposite to the way science is supposed to, to work absolutely one of my favorite quotes there's a famous physicist richard Feynman, yes. and uh, he said yes. uh, science is the belief in the ignorance of experts and <laughs> I, I love it always right. always love that quote because i think it just it it's it punches you in the face with what just what you're talking about yeah yeah, 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 exactly. So, but it's a, but you know, it's a, it's a hard lesson for many doctors and other experts to swallow because because stature within these professions, and I'm you know, that includes the lawyers and all the other professions as well. Part of the stature that comes from being in a profession and being respected is that people defer to your expertise because they think you know, and so to admit that this is all up for grabs because that's the way science works is is a bitter pill for some people to have to swallow yeah absolutely well just to move on a little bit so yeah. you're coming to cape breton we're happy to see you um you're going to be giving our kind of kickoff uh, keynote speech on friday evening of the conference on the 28th of october and uh just do you want to give us a little tiny preview of what you want to cover without without stealing your own thunder sure 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 i'd love to so the the, the concept is this i i i so it probably part of one of my personality flaws I, I i like to poke people uh so that they 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 get a little bit annoyed with me and want to poke back because that's how i think we get talking about important things and so the poking I want to do in this on the, in this case is to say, is to start with with this proposition, which has been expressed by several people during this period, which is that our troubles within the medical profession, including the censorship of doctors, has come from losing sight of our medical ethics, from losing sight of the Hippocratic Oath, from losing sight of that principle that says first do no harm and the thesis that i want to advance is actually no in fact it may be that the hippocratic oath and the the, the and the modern versions of the ethical principles for doctors and the idea of first do no harm the problem is embedded in those 
It's embedded in those because what those statements reflect, going all the way back to the original oath and up to the to the present time, what those statements and oaths reflect is the idea that the physicians are the ones who have agency. And if the physicians have agency, that means the patients do not. In other words, medicine is something that patients uh, that doctors do to patients. And in order to really achieve a different kind of ethos, I think those statements and 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 the and the and the the philosophy of the profession really ideally needs to change to the idea that actually, no, we are only and simply servants and advisors. And it is the patient who decides, and it is the patient who is responsible for the outcome of that decision. That's assuming that we do our job correctly. But as far as the of, of as far as the responsibility for the call is, that's the patient to make. And we are simply there to to advise them what we think might be best for them. That's a wonderful um, note to end on. I really look forward to hearing you flesh that out in a in a you know the hour talk that you're going to do. And um, you know, I'd encourage people. There's a great chance to come to this conference and meet people like Bruce in person, ask questions directly, see people, see their faces, shake hands, maybe even hug them and all these things that we were forbidden from doing for two years with COVID and that we miss so much. So what a concept, we, what a concept I, that yes, would be. Yes. Amazing human contact, eh? Um, but yeah. uh, the last little comment just on what you said there, I, I, I have found an inherent contradiction in modern uh, medicine. On the one hand, we have this idea that the medical officer of health can make all these rules and do things like prevent uh, loved ones from seeing dying relatives in the hospital because it's not safe and right. whatnot. And then on the other hand, the, the, the left-wing swing in medicine has been just wildly verbal and verbose about patient autonomy, patient autonomy, patient autonomy. We need to empower patients, et cetera, et cetera. We can never look down on anyone for anything. We can't judge someone because they're a drug addict or they're too overweight, et cetera, et cetera. And yet at the same time, we believe that uh, the profession, the medical officer of health can direct the profession to completely stomple patients' rights in certain circumstances. So I find those two things contradictory and maybe we'll, maybe you'll figure that out for us and tell us about it when you talk at the conference. A very, a very good point. Absolutely true. No question about it. Um, for anybody who has not yet been to Cape Breton, I highly recommend it. I was last there in 2017. It is a beautiful place. If you haven't ever seen it, you should come and see it for yourself. Right on. Well, thanks so much, Bruce. And this time when you come, we will not make you run around the cab trail as you've had to do before. <laughs> yeah, right. It's much nicer well, when you don't have to. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, thanks so much. I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, Chris. Great talking to you.